We turn in God's Word this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to pick it up at verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter. Perhaps one of the things you don't realize about the uniqueness of this particular passage is that this is written before any of the gospel accounts. So before Matthew was written, before Mark, before Luke, before John was written, this is written. So we don't have, by the time when this is written, we do not have the record of that which took place on the night before Jesus died. The events of the upper room have not yet been recorded. Now, obviously they have been verbally passed on, but there is no written record of those events. So here comes, as it were, the first teaching since the upper room about the Lord's Supper. So keep that in mind as we read this text this morning. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place... When you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? And humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions. 
when I come. Thus far, the reading of God's word. I invite you to keep the passage open this morning. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we are thankful for this beautiful weekend that you have given us, and we are thankful that you have set aside this Lord's Day that we could come and worship you. And we just pray for uh, Pastor Bob as he delivers your message. And then we open our, open our hearts as the congregation and our minds to accept this word and apply it to our lives, dear Lord. We just thank you for all the many blessings and gifts that you have given us. This we ask in your name. Amen. And amen. Two things regarding this passage this morning. First of all, that what Paul is teaching us through that which he was given by the Holy Spirit is that the supper is, first of all, a call for unity. And secondly, that the supper is a call to understanding. First of all, it's a call to unity. As we read verses 17 through 22, we obviously catch the drift of what Paul's going on. There's problems here in the Corinthian church. Now, part of it, we, if you think back to the words I, I spoke before I read, Part of that we might come to understand. It's not like they have some form out there. It's not like they have some historical record by which to go. There, there has been little stated in regards to the Lord's Supper. So the likelihood of error, misunderstanding creeping in, certainly would be there. Therefore, the Lord gives to Paul these words in order to deal with this church that has misunderstood, misapplied, and is misusing the Lord's Supper. And what seems to be the center part of what Paul is focusing on at this church at Corinth is their pride, is their arrogance. If you go back throughout the entire book, we find that. There, there is a note of superiority and there is the idea of some are better than others. Some are perhaps super Christians. Some are just eh, Christians. And some are, well, kind of low life Christians. That's what's functioning in the church of Corinth. And Paul is saying, you're bringing that to the supper. So that there is disunity even when you come. You're not participating together. Now, one can not quite imagine exactly what was actually taking place there, whether they just had a table of bread and a table of wine and people just came whenever they came to church and just started eating and eating and eating and drinking and drinking and drinking. By the time the rest of the crowd showed up at 9.30, there was nothing on the table. They were, were sort of left in the dark as to exactly how it could be that somebody could drink so much that they were actually drunk before others even had an opportunity to participate. But that's the situation, and Paul is saying that's a sign of disunity. It's a misuse of the supper. It's, it's not only the, this arrogance and pride that you think you're better than others, so you have the right to it first. You're not understanding what the supper is all about. You're looking at it as an earthly meal. You're looking at it as earthly food and drink. So the supper is, first of all, a call to unity. We have to be together. We have to be united. This is not something for, for it to be separated. 
This is a call for the body to come together as the body of Christ. Now, as we think about this, okay, the supper, that's what it was. It's a call to unity. That's what Debray is trying to bring out of the Belgic Confession as well. For there too, there is much confusion, is there not, in the 1500s. You got all sorts of ideas floating around. You have the, the Catholic view that the bread and wine actually change into Christ, body and blood, physically. You have a Lutheran view that sort of, well, yes, no, we're not really sure how exactly, but we think it's physical. You have the Anabaptists who are like, you people are all crazy. This is nothing more than a memorial meal, and, and there is no significance at all in really what is taking place. In the midst of that confusion, Debray is seeking to set down what is the biblical view of the supper. What do we as Reformed people believe about the supper? Understanding that Spanish authorities are basically sitting over top of these folks with swords in hand saying, you better give us the Catholic answer or you're dying. Debray is saying, no. No, that's not the answer we're giving you. We are seeking to bring unity to the understanding of the supper. This should be how we view the supper. But that brings us to our present situation as well. Because even as Paul is addressing Corinth and bringing to them the word of God regarding the, the problems that they're dealing with, Debray is bringing the word of God to bear upon the confusion of the 1500s. So God's word comes to us today. Maybe not for those same reasons or those same purposes. Let me, let me just place before you, perhaps this word comes to us this morning. Because maybe we think too little of the supper. We have made it common. We have made it ordinary. We don't think much about this. We don't even order our lives over the fact that today is a communion Sunday. We, we, we don't even think about that in our planning. That, hey, it's communion Sunday. I ought to be in church to, to participate in the Lord's Supper. No, I got, it's a nice weekend. I think we'll go camping. It's a nice weekend. I think I'll do this. Even though we know the third Sunday of September is going to be the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we think too little of the meal. We, 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 we you know, in, the, in the, the vocabulary of today, there's a lot of people who would think, well, this is just a snack. There's no holiness associated with this. There's no thought. And, and even if we, oh yeah, it's the Lord's Supper, how much thought did we put into it? Last Sunday morning, we dealt with coming to the table. Last Sunday night, we dealt with the table. We had a great crowd last Sunday night. 
But were you here to prepare yourself? See, we think too little of that which this is. This is something we can just rush into. This is something we don't have to stop for and reflect on and think about. So God's word comes to us as a plea, as a call to unity, that we would come together with a common understanding, with a common preparation. But even while I say that, perhaps there is the other error as well that we think too, too much of the meal. That we have elevated this beyond that which Christ did. Let, let me give you an example of this. Let, let, let me just think about this with you a minute. Let's think about when this supper was instituted, right? We're in the upper room. We've got a bunch of ragtag guys. They've just ate a Passover meal. And Jesus stops and says, hey, wait a minute. Takes the bread and he says, this is my body which is for you. And passes it out. After the meal he takes a cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant which is in my blood. Drink it. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's a very simple meal. It's a very simple procedure. Now just stop and think. Some of you have been there. Some of you haven't. Think of going to a Roman Catholic Mass. And ask yourself, is that same simplicity found there? Or has it become really complex? There's stuff going on and there's smoke and there's words and there's guy going to a little box and taking out stuff, lifting stuff up. There are words being spoken that I don't even understand the language of. There's all sorts of stuff associated with this. Too much. Or there becomes, even in some reform congregations, such a, a morbid feeling about this meal that people are sitting there in utter terror. They're not even willing to look up. They're, they're, they're afraid to participate. make too much of the meal. Or we make too little. So God comes with his word to us this morning. And it's a call to understanding. The first thing I want you to note is verse 23. The first thing we need to understand about this meal about this supper, are these words. For I receive from the Lord what I delivered unto you. This is that which we receive from the Lord. It's a revealed. This is not a discovered truth. This isn't men reasoning this all out. Nor does Paul say, I received from Peter, 
who delivered unto me the truth of the way this is to go. No, I received of the Lord. It was revealed to me by the Lord that which this meal is. This meal is not the church's. This meal is not yours. This meal is the Lord's. And that which is taking place here is not by church command. And you don't have the right to come to this meal by your own personal inventions. Only by the Lord's directive. the first thing to understand about this. We receive this meal from the Lord. The second thing I want you to think about is the is. The is. Verse 24, or the end of verse 23. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is. My body, which is for you. This is. I think Jesus understood the language. I think Paul understood the language. I think the Holy Spirit understands the language. This is my body. Not it becomes. Not that there's some sort of transformation. Not that there's some sort of change. If that's what Jesus wanted to say, he would have said it. He would have said, this bread is changed into my body when you say some words over it, when a priest later on will pray over it, then it's, then it's transformed into my body. That isn't what he says. He's holding a piece of bread in his hands, and he said, this is my body. We have to understand that. Not it becomes, not it represents. Jesus didn't say that. This bread represents my body. Those are not his words. We might be more comfortable with that. It makes it all a little bit more easy to understand. But Jesus knows the word represent. And he didn't say that. He said, it is. This is my body. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were dealing with the Belgic and the sacraments in regards to baptism. The, the article that, that dealt with the sacraments talked about the fact that there is a close association between the sign and the thing signified. So let me use an example that I probably should pay more attention to in life. As I'm driving down the road, I see these signs on the side of the road that say speed limit. And sometimes underneath those words speed limit, it says 25. Sometimes under it, it says 45, sometimes 55, sometimes 70. Thankfully, some places it even says 75 now. The question is, is that only representative? 
has the sign turned into 75 miles an hour? Or is there such a close association between the sign and reality, it is hard to distinguish between the two? Because the reality is where it says 75, that is the speed. Where it says 45, it is 45. That is the speed limit. That's what it is. It's not it just represents it. It is. There is the reality of the thing itself. Jesus said, by revelation to Paul here, this is my body. We can, by inference, say, this is my blood. See, here's the thing, folks. When we come to this table, we do indeed receive Christ. Now, I'm going to explain that, but we need to understand this first of all. That's why this is of such significance. That's why this is why we cannot make too little of this meal. That's why we should make every effort to be here. Because this is Christ. We are going to feed upon Christ this morning. We received him because he said, this is my body. This is my blood. Now, in what sense? Well, if you, if you read through or followed along in our reading of the Belgic, the Bray goes to great lengths to explain to us the fact that there is a difference between the physical and the spiritual. That we have a physical life by which we eat common bread and drink common wine. But we also have a spiritual life, a born-again life. And that spiritual life, that born-again life is just as real as is our physical life. Right? Our being born again by the Spirit is just as real as is our being born by our mother into this world. That was a real event. So is our second birth by the Spirit. That also is reality. But the one is spiritual. In fact, the one... We see, we, we confess, we know what happened in our first birth. The second takes place hidden. Oh, there's evidences of it. There's the realities of it that spring forth from it. But the actual event is like the wind. No one knows when it, where it blows. That was Jesus' words to Nicodemus. So when we say we come to this table and we receive Christ, we will feed upon Christ, we're not talking physically. 
that was the error of Rome, and that's the error of Luther. He, he, he kept too close there. The error of the Anabaptists was, there is no is. There is no is. And the Bray is going to great lengths to do that which Scripture tells us happened. Giving full credence to the very words of Jesus. Not the words of the church. Not the words of a man, but the words of Jesus. That which was revealed to Paul. This is my body. This is my blood. Spiritually present. So that truly we feed. Spiritually. And just like bread and the food we'll have during our pantras strengthens our body physically, this meal nourishes and strengthens us spiritually. Will we see its effects? We should. Just like when we have a good meal and we're revitalized and strengthened by that meal, You were out working yesterday, perhaps, yesterday afternoon, you stopped, you took a break, you had some refreshment, and you're like, man, I can go at this again. Right? That's what physical food does. Spiritual food does the same thing for us, but spiritually. This is how Christ nourishes and strengthens our souls to live each day for him. How arrogant of us to say, I don't need to come to the Lord's Supper today. I'm strong enough. Really. Really. Oh, we have it seven times a year. If I miss one, it's not important. Really. Do you make a practice of missing one-seventh of your meals every week? No, we need that. We need this. Our soul needs Christ and the nourishment that Christ provides. Calls for understanding in the fact that it is revealed Secondly, the is, and thirdly, in its requirement. Note that, G, that Paul writes, verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread of the cup, eats the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of Christ, and let a man, person, examine himself in an unworthy manner. So two things. One, the sacrament, the supper, requires to be fed, to be nourished, to be strengthened by Christ. In other words, to have the effects that the supper is intended to have upon us. Two things need to be met. One, we have to participate in a worthy manner. Paul is saying, Corinthians, 
Most of you aren't doing that. Most of you are not participating in this supper in a worthy manner. And obviously, if you have people getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, I think we'd all conclude, that's unworthy. Debray is saying there are those there in the 1500s who are participating at this meal, but they're doing so in an unworthy manner. Just as we have to say today, and warn and caution, be careful that you're not coming to this table in an unworthy manner. Well, what's a worthy manner then? It would mean to come in faith. It means to come to this table believing. To have knowledge that has given over to trust. To know the truth that Christ died upon that cross for me. And the assurance that Jesus paid it all. It is coming to this table in faith with an understanding of the significance of that which is taking place. To come in a worthy manner. But also, Paul says, let a man examine himself when we participate we have to participate having examined well what does that mean what are we looking for one we need to come humbly that's not what the Corinthians were doing they were coming arrogantly the supper calls for a certain humility that we understand that yes I am a sinner that I understand that, yes, my sins caused the death of Jesus Christ. That I understand the weight and the burden and the gravity of those sins. But I also have to come discerningly. Understanding that this is not the physical body of Christ that I'm eating and drinking of, but that spiritually Christ is present here, and it's a real presence, that he really is here, that he suffered, that he died upon that cross, that he rose again, that he is ascended into heaven, but yet is here. This bread and this cup, Christ is present. But also to examine not only that humility of my sin, the necessity of Christ's presence, the reality of his death, but also joyfully understanding those words. Take, eat, remember, and believe. What? That I'm forgiven. That I am forgiven. 
my sin has been paid for. That I stand justified before God. Saying, saying, Jesus died my soul to save. But not in a somberness. Shout to the Lord. Sing his praises. Tell to the world how awesome are his deeds. That there is the joy of knowing the forgiveness the mercy, the grace of God that my soul feeds upon. Come, for the feast is spread for you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a blessing. What a blessing this meal is. We pray, Father, that as we come, that we might be coming as worthy partakers, that we might come as those who have examined, that we might come to this table humbly, discerning Christ, but also joyfully. And that you will now Feed and nourish us. For the mouth of the soul is faith. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.